This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. When she tried calling her and calling her, she never answered the phone. She was supposed to meet up with her and she wasn't there. So she went over to her house and that's when she found her. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. We are starting real early this morning. How are we doing? Have we had our coffee? I don't really I don't drink, drink coffee. coffee, so I'm yeah. dragging. I can't believe I'm the only person out of us that drinks coffee. Well, you're the only person who's not going to have a panic attack if they drink it. That's what <laughs> happened to me. It'll not start my day off with the right foot. This is true. And I drink enough coffee for all of us combined. I've already had two double espressos ready to rock and roll. I would love to be able to drink coffee. I just can't handle the acidity of it. For my, ah, yes. Your sensitive little stomach you sensitive. have. Can you do tea with caffeine? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's but not it's, the same. It's, yeah, but it's not the same. You don't get mm. the same jolt as you do with a coffee. No. no. Like I love nice the smell mellow. of coffee and everything, but it's just it doesn't... Uh, can't do it. I'm sorry, mm. Billy. Yeah, um, right. I'm just going to do a little shout out to our Patreon. If you haven't joined it yet, please join. We're posting so much fun bonus content over there and we're having a ball. We recorded a bunch of episodes for it yesterday and it was just a doozy. We had yeah, a they're blast. becoming they're becoming our, our the loves of our of our life, of our true mm-hmm. crime life. I mean, because we really get to be a little bit more creative and we have several segments we're rotating between. If you're on our top tier, which is $10 a month, you're getting another episode per week. That's four more a month. So it's a really sweet deal. And if you're in the lower tier, you get one per month, but other bonus content too. And we're doing a lot of video content over there. So the only way you're going to see our beautiful, beautiful faces is by going over to Patreon. And I know you're really just there to see Billy and that's fine. That's fine. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Billy, what day is it today? All right. Well, today is June 15th and it's National Kiss a Wookiee Day. Okay. Yeah. They're kind of cute. I guess they're the kind of cutest. They're the cutest ones if you're going to kiss one of the star. Well, here's what it says on Check a Day it says, Wookiees get all the love today because uh, National Kiss a Wookiee Day is, quote, a day to honor and remember a smooch to all the Wookiees in our lives. Wookiees are tall, hairy humanoids from the Star Wars film franchise. They are intelligent, loyal, and trusting. Oh. But can also be volatile. Oh. I was going (laughs) to say, up until the volatile, it actually sounds like a pretty ideal man. Like it sounds like a, it sounded like a good Tinder profile. I know, tall, hairy, and loyal. I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Check, check. <laughs> we can date now. Yes, kiss a Wookiee. Yes. And is, are there any other like good days? Yeah, he's like a Wookiee. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. My, like, are Wookiees good though? I'm not, not yes, a Star Wookiees Wars are, person. Wookiees are good guys. Yes. Uh, okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. For the volatile like spurts. Yeah. Of rage. Well, it, well, listen. I mean, they <laughs> he he got really upset when he lost a game of uh, of of space chess. Basically, I won't get mm. into that. Yeah. Okay, mm. that just sounds yeah, like a typical guy mm-hmm. nerd shit. <laughs> um, are there any other good days, or should we jump right in? I mean, I think let's jump right in. All right. Well, then that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. So usually we try to start episodes off with something thought-provoking, ironic, or poetic, but because today's topic highlights very serious issues and a particular issue that is pervasive throughout true crime and crime statistics in general, 
I want to start with some cold, hard facts. So according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in four women have been the victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner. And women between the ages of 18 and 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. And one in two female murder victims are killed by their partners. And I think we've shared that statistic before. But we're really trying to drive this point home. More often than not, the boogeymen in these stories, when women are killed, are the men who you're sharing a home with and sharing a life with. And that's just the facts. So we begin today's case on June 11th of 2018. Drake had two songs on the top charts. Nice for What was number one, and God's Plan came in at number three. The fourth song on the charts was This is America by Childish Gambino. Movies Ocean 8, Hereditary, and Solo, A Star Wars Story, which is very applicable for today's today's day. Uh, They were all dominating the box office. And the setting for today's case is North Augusta, South Carolina which to clarify is only a nine-minute drive from the famous Augusta, Georgia. In 1890, James U. Jackson purchased some property in South Carolina along the banks of the Savannah River, and he wanted to build a new town, and that's exactly what he did. Today, the town has just over 20,000 residents. And our first degree for today's case is named Paige. So Paige identifies as being part of the Jehovah's Witness faith. And through her local congregation, Paige got to know the other congregants, and it's a very tight-knit community. Paige met a mother and daughter duo, both of whom were named Melissa. And I have to say, I wish women did this more. Men do it all the time. They name their sons after them. I think it's kind of badass to spread this like matriarchal vibe. You know that Jared's mom is a junior. I love that. She's Gwen Jr., which is amazing. So there there are people out there that are doing it. Anyways, even though this mother-daughter had the same name, the youngest, the daughter of Melissa, went by Missy. So that's how we're going to differentiate them in this story. There's little Missy, daughter to Melissa, last name Clary, both members of this congregation with Paige. If I had to guess a year, like 2012-ish, I met Melissa. She goes by Missy. Her mom's name is also Melissa, so that's why it can be a little confusing. We always call her Missy. So Missy was probably 13 or 14 years old when I met her. Paige remembers Missy as being a sweet and goofy teenager who liked to joke around and record videos of herself performing at karaoke, which I love. Missy's cousin Carson told News WRDW that she was very caring for everybody and she loved everyone she ever met. She never hated anyone. And Missy's social media was flooded with exchanges with friends. She had friends from school, from the congregation, and everybody just seemed to love this girl. Missy's mother, Melissa, struggled with health issues, both physical and mental. And while she was dedicated to her faith, these conditions she suffered made it difficult to get to the Kingdom Hall for the church activities. And in learning this, Paige wanted to help Melissa keep Missy engaged with the faith, So she stepped in and would offer to bring Missy since Melissa was unable to take herself. Her mom struggled a little bit with mental health issues as well as Missy. Both of them, you know, had issues. Who doesn't these days? So I don't know all the exact dynamics, family dynamics personally or intimately, but they had some crazy situations that I know of. I had never met her dad. I didn't know that he was around or where he was. Her grandmother was also part of our congregation. I kind of knew her. She was an older lady. You know, I didn't know know her very well, but she was nice enough, I guess. Paige was older than Missy, so she really made an effort to be a good influence and a mentor to her. I was 22, and she was a, a teenager, but I was young and single and had spare time and, of course, you know, just trying to help out. And some of my other friends also were involved in just trying to look out for and help her, you know, get to the Kingdom Hall as often as possible. Paige was more than happy to help. It's this kind of outreach to others that their faith was based on. Not only because she was helping out a friend in need, but because she loved seeing young people eagerly engaging in the Jehovah's Witness faith and going to Kingdom Hall without being forced to. We were picking her up because she wanted to be there. So she didn't want to miss out. And she was happy and she was a kid, but she was usually in good spirits, you know, her mom wasn't there. So she wasn't being forced to go. We would 
give her rides and she would hang out if we were going out as a group we would try to get different you know teenagers involved and stuff some of my friends are a little younger they were 18 17 16 at the time as missy grew older she began to rebel you know as many young teens do this is not out of the ordinary Paige saw less and less of Missy, but she would still get updates about her, you know, through the grapevine. And based on what she was hearing, it seemed like Missy had been going down this kind of unsavory path. Missy spent less and less time with her friends from the congregation and more and more time with a handful of quote-unquote bad influences from school. The more involved with her friends that she got, the less Missy went to the Kingdom Hall and the less Paige was able to keep tabs on and help her. She started working for somebody in the congregation and started having some like reliability issues and things like that when she started driving her own car. And rumors started spreading about Missy, and they were going throughout the congregation. A lot of the stuff that I know, she didn't tell me personally. I heard from people. I mean, I had heard, you know, that she was maybe thinking about getting on birth control. And of course, that's something that when people hear, they're like, she's only 15. What does she need birth control for? And I mean, you know, I understand that people from different walks of life view that differently but of course it was a little scandalous might not be the right word but it's a word that I would use to describe it anyways and then we heard that she decided she was going to come off her birth control and it was all this crazy stuff and I'm like why do we even all know all this private stuff about her so if you grew up in a tight-knit congregation these dynamics may sound familiar people are nosy there's a rumor mill and the whole birth control thing started to make more sense once Paige learned that Missy had a new boyfriend, a guy from school named James Michael Hooper II, and he would go by Mike. She was dating this guy, and nobody liked anything about him. My youngest sister actually went to school with him, and she didn't really know him very well, but said, like, yeah, it's kind of bad news. So there's not a ton to know about Mike, but I can tell you a few things to help paint a picture because I did some social media stalking of my own. And just these couple little details will help you understand. So he stood 6'3 and 260 pounds, which is big for high school. Big guy. His Instagram handle is Big Country 5. And on his Instagram like profile tagline, it simply said 1996 GMC 271 trucking. Mm -hmm. And I found his Facebook too. And by the looks of it, his profile picture was, it looks like him playing football. He may have been on the team or it's it's a team he liked, but he's into football. And the only posts he made were about cars and trucks. And you know what? These are pretty standard interests for kids of this age who don't totally know themselves yet. Remember, he's still a high school kid and uh, he loves trucks, he loves football, and he loves country. Yeah, nothing wrong with any of that. Remember, Paige's sister went to high school with them and knew of Mike and didn't have great things to say about him. So, of course, Paige continued to be worried about Missy and the path that she was going down. She continued trying to mentor Missy, although the dynamic of the relationship changed a bit as Missy progressed through high school. I would say at that point, probably like I wasn't calling her up to say, hey, we're all going to a movie. If you want, I'll come pick you up. We were, you know, getting a little bit like you're you're making some decisions that are going to lead you down a bad path. You know, just to be completely honest, which might not have helped, I guess, in retrospectively, we still thought, you know, she was hopefully going to straighten her life out. And obviously, I'll say, like, everybody has hope that she's going to return to her face or, you know, that's an ultimate goal. But everybody just wanted her to be safe and healthy and happy. More time passed. And then Paige heard more surprising news about Missy. Then I heard that she was pregnant and I was just, you know, kind of devastated. She's 17. She might have been 16 when she got pregnant. I think she was 17 when her son was born. But, you know, it's that's irreversible and it's a, a tough situation for a teenager to be in. And I was concerned on a personal note. I was raised by a teen mother. I was born when my mom was 16. So I knew exactly what she was in for and the challenges and not only her, but that her son would face. And next thing I know, there's a baby. So Missy was pregnant and her boyfriend, Mike, was the father. Nine months later, she gave birth to a baby son that the couple named Noah. So as everybody is aware, you know, being a teen parent can be very difficult. It can be difficult as an adult. So naturally, many people were worried about Missy, but also willing to step in and help. And while things were rough in the beginning, 
Missy was able to turn things around for herself, and she took to motherhood. In the years that followed, she grew up a lot and stepped things up for her son. She secured a home for her little family and started working as a cake decorator with public supermarkets, which was a job she really started to enjoy. Outwardly, both Mike and Missy appeared to be completely immersed in Noah. Mike's Instagram bio was amended to read Proud Father, and Missy's Instagram profile read, I'm a mom. While both parents seemed to be committed parents, the pressure of becoming parents so young took a toll on both of them, and the relationship started to get tumultuous. It took on that on-again, off-again quality. And despite this, Missy kept her head up. She pushed forward, not allowing her relationship issues to impact her dedication to her son. She was, you know, making progress with things. She was, I think she must have been 19 or 20 at this point and was still, you know, struggling with the situation of trying to raise a baby at a very young age and seemed like maybe she was headed in the right direction towards some independence, some stability. Then, on June 11th, 2018, Paige heard more news about Missy. But this time, it wasn't just gossip or an update on how she and Noah were doing. No, it was unthinkable news. So, my best friend texts me while I'm at work and is like, so, Missy's dead. And I didn't, Missy? Missy who? Like, what do you mean? She said, Melissa just told me that she found Missy's body. And I'm like, body? Like, what do you mean body? Like, I need more details, you know? I was in shock. So she said she was murdered. Paige's best friend told her everything she knew. She kind of filled me in on some of the details that she found out from Melissa, who told her some of the details about how she hadn't been able to get in touch with her all day. When she tried calling her and calling her, she never answered the phone. She was supposed to meet up with her, and she wasn't there. So she went over to her house. And that's when she found her, and she was, you know, naked, cold to the touch. A horrified Melissa called 911 and told the operator that she'd found her 20-year-old daughter with serious injuries. After first responders rushed to the scene and arrived, they did everything they could, but Missy was ultimately pronounced dead at the scene. An autopsy later determined that she died from blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation. News of Missy's death was heart-wrenching. Things had seemingly been going so well for her. She'd been heading down the right path, and everyone was really happy to see it. So what the hell happened? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We gotta go back. Missy Clary had been active in her congregation until she entered high school and started hanging out with a group of what you might call bad influences, including her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Mike Hooper, who was a year or so older. Like we said, Mike was into trucks. He was into football. He was into country. You know, uh, there's nothing else that we can really find about him online. And that's because there wasn't much to know. Big country, he liked that. This is what he liked to do. And remember, Paige's little sister went to school with him. So she had some insight, but not a whole lot. She said he was just a kind of quiet dude. He wasn't super popular or super like he wasn't a bully or anything that as far as she knew. But she also didn't know him very well or his circle. You know, they weren't really in the same friend circle or anything. He was just passive and, you know, he seemed out of place and but not in any way that to me was a red flag. He just seemed quiet and kind of you know, off to the side in the few times that I had, I won't even go as far as to say met him, just been in the same room with him. Based on all she'd seen and observed, Paige was not a fan. And based on the things that she heard, Mike just wasn't a bad influence. He was also a bad boyfriend. I started hearing that he was not only like a bad influence as far as standards of, you know, Bible standards, but he was a bad guy. He was violent and demeaning towards her. And and the rumor was that he was physical. And I had seen a bruise on her one time. If someone is exhibiting violence towards women as early as high school, it's not a good sign. So based on what Paige was seeing, it wasn't hard for her to believe the rumors about Mike were true. That's when she really started to worry for Missy. 
Although at this point, Missy was rarely at the Kingdom Hall, Paige continued to listen for updates about her life. And from what she could tell, Missy and Mike's relationship may have started as young love, but it was now a relationship riddled with instability and chaos, and violence as well based on what she was hearing and what she was deducing. The teenagers would break up, they'd get back together, only to break up again soon after, but only this time, a child was involved. And when they were together, Missy and Mike fought constantly. Paige never heard any specific details about what the fights were about, but she had a pretty good guess. I don't think they were in a situation that was good when she had, like I said, her own mental health struggles. He, his family has issues that they're dealing with, and both of them had tough, tough lives, tough upbringings, probably not the best communication skills. So every little thing it sounded like to me was causing fights, not necessarily huge specific issues per se. We may not know what the fights were about or what led up to them, but thanks to Missy's cousin Carson, we do have some insight into what the fighting looked like, at least from Missy's point of view. Carson told WRDW that, quote, Mike would never be aggressive or anything. He would just use words that would hurt her feelings and stuff like that. Whenever they were on the phone, she would always be upset. She'd be happy, then go to upset, and I would ask, Missy, why are you upset? And she would be like, it's nothing. So I think it's safe to say that Carson meant that Mike would never be aggressive in front of other people because it's pretty obvious that Mike was aggressive towards Missy. And the evidence was these bruises that Paige saw. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words then phrases and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Thank you. 
the early 2010s, Missy Clary started dating a fellow high school student named Mike Hooper. Our first degree page heard lots of rumors about Missy and her relationship with Mike, and what she heard wasn't good. Eventually, Paige started hearing rumors about Missy's own struggles with mental health, which is something that happens to many victims of domestic violence. And according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, victims of domestic violence have a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. One day, seemingly out of nowhere, Missy showed up to Kingdom Hall. Paige was obviously glad to see her and offered her a ride home. And during this drive, Paige found out that the rumors about Missy's mental health struggles were true. I drove her home one day and she said, oh, I met your little sister. I was like, oh, really? Where did you meet her? You know, she's not involved in the congregation at all. And, you know, she lives a town or two over. I didn't think anything. I was like, That's weird. And then she told me I met her at Aurora, which is a mental health facility that my sister was there for her own mental health problems. And I was then I'm like, OK, if you're getting admitted into this place, you're having serious issues. You know, I don't know all the details. And I was like, okay, well, did that stay there help? You know, how how you feeling? And she's like, yeah, you know, a little better. Paige's concern for Missy persisted, but there was little she could do to intervene in Missy's life. And sadly, Missy's mom, Melissa, was still incapacitated by her health problems. So there was little she could do to step in as well. She was doing the best she could with her own, her own issues, physical health, mental health, financial problem, you know, single mother. I mean, there's so many struggles that can come along with that, obviously. And she, I think she also felt like, you know, at, at a certain age, kids make their own decisions. There isn't any, you, know, you can only control, I mean, you know, you can only control kids so much past a certain point. She's got her driver's license. She's got a job, you know, what are you, okay, there's curfew, you're grounded, but you know, teenagers. It wasn't long after that car ride that Paige heard whispers of Missy's pregnancy. Once the baby was born, he and Missy moved in with Mike at his parents' house. And despite whatever mental health struggles she may have been experiencing, Missy took to motherhood effortlessly. She loved motherhood, and her cousin Carson told WRDW, she loved Noah with all her heart, and every single time I was around him and her, he was always happy, and so was she. She was always happy around Noah. Right. And I have Missy's Instagram pulled up and I want to kind of paint a picture of what her life looked like at this point. So yeah, on her Instagram feed, it's selfies. She looks gorgeous. And every other couple photos, it's just her with Noah. And there's yeah. a few group photos with her, Mike and Noah. And then, you know, selfies, they look, they look like a happy family. They look like they're, they're all enjoying being together, at least from this social media rose-colored glasses perspective. But it looks really idyllic if you don't know what's going on with them. Yeah. And like every picture that she is in with Noah, she has like a huge smile on her face and he's like the cutest little kid ever. So yeah, it's pretty like there's nothing too crazy going on on her page. It's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't look at it and see any glaring red flags. Not only no. that, if you scroll down, there's a photo where it appears Mike proposes to her. And they're on a trip in Charleston. They're on the beach. And he's on one knee. And the, the caption is, I said yes. So at one point, they're trying so hard to make this work where they're getting engaged. you know, And he's got a ring in his hand. Yeah. So things weren't always bad. But you could see why people would have no idea that there were any domestic violence struggles going on. Because this looks like a couple who had a baby who got engaged and are who are on the right track to becoming this healthy, functional family. Social media for you. Yep. Missy tried really hard to make things work with Mike. She really didn't want her son to grow up like she had without a consistent father figure. They were, I guess, trying to make it work as well as two teenagers who can't really financially support themselves and have no idea what they're doing. But they were just constantly at each other's throats, fighting all the time. They were breaking up and constantly she would, you know, call her mom and say, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do this or that. But I know she just wanted a family for her son, obviously. Despite Missy's best efforts to get along with her son's father, the chaos between them continued. So then one day Missy had enough and decided she needed to move out for the safety and, you know, sanctuary of herself and her son. So Missy's mom helped set them up with a place of their own. 
her mom had just recently gotten remarried. She had moved in with her husband and they had kind of a place situated that she that Missy could stay with Noah. So they were working on getting her situated there. It's at this point that Missy started working her cake decorator job at Publix, and she was finally gaining the independence that she craved and was establishing an identity outside of her relationship with Mike, which is super important. However, Missy and Mike shared custody of Noah, so there was no way to eliminate him from her life completely, obviously. It's around this time that Paige heard that even though Missy had moved out and gotten her own place, it appeared they were still dating on and off. Sometimes he would spend the night there or she would go with it, you know. So it was kind of, you know, on again, off again, very kind of typical, I think, for those types of situations. And especially when you share a child, you're never getting away from that person completely. And that brings us to June 11th, 2018, the day that Missy was found unresponsive in her home by her mom. Everyone in the Jehovah's Witness community was shocked sad and and devastated. How did this happen? I was definitely heartbroken at the fact that she seemed to be doing better. She seemed to, you know, like I said, she had a job that she was enjoying. She was with her son. She seemed to be in a better place than she had been in a while. And it just seemed very, like I said, heartbreaking that the timing was what it was. Immediately everyone, including Paige, believed that Mike was responsible for Missy's murder. When Paige's best friend called with the news of Missy's death, she immediately questioned if police had arrested Mike yet, because it all made sense. He was a bad guy, and they had a volatile relationship. And remember the statistic from the top of our episode, that one in two murdered women are killed by their spouse, boyfriend, or partner. I said, right away, I'm like, did they get Mike? Like, where is he? And she said, they don't know who did it. I'm sure they're talking to him. And I'm like... What do you mean they don't know who did it? We know who did it. Like, she's not a mob boss. Like, there's not a hit out for her. There's one person who's been treating her terribly and who has a motive and has a history of being aggressive. Paige was determined to find out more information about the investigation. Did police know where Mike was? Were they keeping tabs on him? Was he even a suspect? I started texting with a couple of my friends, like, you know, do the police even know where he is? Like, what's going on? I'm trying to, I was being a little bit of a detective, I guess, or I thought it was. They didn't need my help, obviously. They never contacted me. I was definitely just completely shocked. So during her research, Paige couldn't find anything about Mike being a suspect. So she started asking around and talking to friends to see if they've heard anything from Missy's mom, Melissa. She's like, apparently he's telling the police that he was there, but that he left and some guy came. And I'm like, of course, he, that's how he's going to turn this around. Like, I shouldn't be surprising that. Anyways, and he said he just left. And I'm like, so the mother of your child is there at two o'clock in the morning and you're just going to walk out when some guy you don't even know is here and is acting upset. Like, that doesn't even... Who would do that? That doesn't even make sense. So according to Mike, he was at Missy's place and another man arrived and came while he was there. So he then left. Okay, so what does this mean? Is there actually a chance that Missy was seeing someone else? Is there any validity to this story? So, you know, dating other people is sort of symptomatic of these on-again, off-again romances. It happens. People find loopholes. They're technically single, even though they're maybe in a gray area. So with so little information available, anything was possible. And the speculation by those who knew Missy continued when days passed without Mike being taken into custody. This again made people question whether or not Mike's story had any validity. If he's completely making it up, why wasn't Mike in cuffs yet? Missy's family was crushed by the loss and had to do the unthinkable. They had to plan memorial services for this 20-year-old girl. Missy's funeral was held on June 15th at Hatcher Funeral Home. Of course, Paige attended, and when she arrived, she was floored to see Missy's boyfriend, Mike, right there, sitting amongst the mourners at the funeral. It was, I mean, all funerals are horrible. There's not good funerals, but I couldn't go, you know, try to look at the body. I was, and I'm sure a lot of people felt that way, but he, Mike, her boyfriend, was all up on the casket with his arms over, you know, in the 
kissing her face and crying and just making a huge scene. Her whole family knew that he was bad news and that he had been, you know, at the very least disrespectful and unkind and terrible. But, you know, a lot of people definitely knew that he had put his hands on her and he's over here acting so devastated and distraught. And it's like, you caused this devastation. You're the reason. Paige didn't like Mike, and he seemed like the obvious suspect in Missy's murder. But if Mike was responsible again, days had passed, and now he was at the funeral allowed to make this spectacle, why was he still free if he did this? And again, you hear about this all the time, where people who are suspected to be the killer go to the funerals. And I don't know how the families, if they truly believe that these people have done it, I don't know how they sit there. And I don't know how these perpetrators do it. Like, ruin this for the families. You know, this is their last attempt or ability to say goodbye to Missy, to to speak well of her. And it it just demonstrates such, you know, cold-heartedness and narcissism to go to a funeral if you did, in fact, kill the person. It's just disgusting. Yeah. It was just hard to watch and hard to imagine how the people that were really closest to her must have felt because it was difficult for me as an acquaintance it was hard for me. How did those people feel and how did they get through that? And that's what I was, I guess, thinking about a lot during the, the funeral. Paige wasn't the only one who felt this way. And one of Missy's relatives eventually spoke up. Finally, her grandfather, like, just lost it and broke down and was like, you killed my baby. You know, he's crying in a way that is not from, you know, cutting your finger. He's hurt so deep and that hearing that you you just don't forget that pain that he was feeling and under you know you can't understand it I guess unless you're in the situation but you could feel it from his cry what what he was feeling at that time and it was very raw WRDW later reported that Missy's grandfather had actually confronted Mike numerous times, even prior to the funeral. And every time, he was furious and asked Mike if he had anything to do with Missy's murder. But Mike said no, he maintained his innocence throughout this entire process. And believe it or not, some of Mike's friends formed groups on social media dedicated to defending Mike and proclaiming his innocence. So that must have been infuriating for Missy's family. Ugh, I can't even imagine. You know, the question is, what was the actual truth about what happened? Well, on June 19th, four days after Missy's funeral, authorities announced that they had, in fact, obtained an arrest warrant for 21-year-old Mike Cooper. But the problem was, when officers went to arrest Mike, they couldn't find him. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Once an arrest warrant was secured, the police had no idea how to find Mike Hooper. I was at work and I was looking through Facebook and there was all these people sharing that they were looking for. Mike Hooper is on the run for the murder of Missy Clary and anybody with any information to come forward. And of course, that started another texting frenzy of does anybody know what's going on? Who, who's the last person that saw him? Do, do any of you guys know anything? So there was a ton of confusion related to this case. For those who believed Mike was guilty from the jump, the question was, why wasn't he arrested right away? What were they waiting for? But then there was the confusion about Mike's story. Was there really another suspect in the mix at all? The cops' reluctance to arrest him right away fueled the speculation even further. Then there was confusion about where the hell Mike was. Now that police finally were looking for him. Days passed, and Mike's picture continued to be circulated online by news outlets and shared by Missy's friends. Everybody wanted him to be found desperately. But the speculation would finally slow once Mike reappeared for the sole purpose of turning himself in. Mike was charged with Missy's murder, and he was denied bond. 
And because of Missy's mother's health problems, Mike's parents took custody of Noah, who is now two years old and parentless, thanks to his father's heinous actions. Upon Mike's arrest, there were pockets of people on social media who actually rallied behind him. Facebook groups supporting him started popping up. It was frustrating to onlookers and confusing to the facts of the investigation. But the speculation didn't impact the truth. Mike had been indicted for this, so clearly the police believed they had the right guy in custody. And due to the way that the justice system unfolds, and because of the fact that Mike has never confessed, we really have very little to share about what happened to Missy on June 11th of 2018 with certainty. So we don't really know how Mike executed the crime. All we know is that Missy died from blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation, and we know that Mike did it. The third man that Mike invented in his own defense was just that, a fabrication. And we asked Paige if she had any insider knowledge, and she only knew a few things. Another thing that I had heard was that her like bloody sheets were in his washing machine at his parents' house. Like that's how stupid this guy was, and how just I, I don't know, grossly careless. He he took somebody's life and then tried to wash the sheets. Like what kind of person does that? not only to another human being, but the mother of their child, you know? The details were alarming, sad, disgusting. But other than these scant, unconfirmed details, Paige didn't know much. In fact, no one does. There are virtually no details of Missy's murder available online. No information about what Mike did to her, what led police to arrest him, nothing. I don't even know, so whether or not he was there, you know, whether he was picking up his son or if he was, you know, hanging out. Like I said, they were still hanging out and getting together. So I don't know if she was there willingly or, or, I mean, he was there willingly, but against her will. And we don't know what the catalyst for Missy's murder was either, but I'm going to go out on a limb and use my deductive reasoning to probably state the obvious. Missy was leaving. She'd already started taking several steps to reclaim her independence from Mike. She moved out. She got her own place. She got a job. And the timeline of her murder aligns with domestic violence statistics. It's common for violence to escalate when the partner takes steps to leave and the relationship and untangle themselves from the partner. I mean, it's textbook and it's ridiculous. She wasn't happy. She had the right to leave this relationship. But Mike didn't think so. So... I don't know specifics at all. This is just my guess based on kind of knowing Missy and being familiar with that type of situation is that she didn't want her maybe trying to date other people or to move on with her life or to try to be successful without him or, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure what, I don't know, I guess, what the actual catalyst that led up to this fight was. For all I know, he wanted her to get the TV remote and she wouldn't do it. After Mike's long-awaited arrest, Paige was disturbed to find out that he had people supporting him online claiming that he was innocent. There were comments of people saying, you know, he didn't do this and justice for Mike and just all these like comments of support for him when her family's over here seeing this stuff reading people supporting him when they all know that he did it. And the police waited till they knew for sure before they arrested him too. So it's not like they went off the first hunch. They obviously waited long enough before they arrested him. They didn't just take him into custody immediately, you know, on a hunch. And all these people are out here still defending him. The place Missy Clary once called home sits quiet and empty now. When she talked to people, she just made them so happy and she would always just joke around. A week after Missy's death, Mike Cooper, the father of her child and former boyfriend, is charged with murder and denied bond. Alexis Corley is Missy's friend from high school. She says Missy and Mike's relationship wasn't perfect. Although he was in her life, obviously, and in uh, Noah's life, um, 
you know, they had relationship issues. They were going through things like everybody else does. Alexis moved to Virginia after high school, but says Missy would text her about Mike. She would ask me, you know, just questions and asking me for advice. And they were going through a rough patch at one point. Alexis says she did try to help. I told her, I said, if it does ever get to the point, leave. Like, it's not worth it. And especially putting herself in danger and also her child. While Mike Cooper sits behind bars, Missy leaves behind a two-year-old son, family, and friends. It's really hard. It's really difficult. Um, I miss her. You know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I miss seeing her Snapchats. She was just, you know, always so vibrant, and her smile just glowed. Because of the slow-moving wheels of justice and COVID-19, Mike sat in jail for years. He petitioned for bond on several occasions, and every time he had a hearing, Missy's family had to relive the trauma of her brutal murder. Missy's mother, Melissa, ended up spiraling into a pit of despair. After all of this happened, I mean, you can imagine her mom just lost it. Any type of mental health progress that she had made was, I mean... Her daughter was murdered and she found her body. It was terrible for her and she just grieved and grieved and grieved. And obviously, I don't think that ever stops. But when, like I said, every time a bond hearing would come up or, you know, the anniversary of of her death or her, her birthday or, you know, her grandson when he turned a year older or he did the first his first time playing t-ball or everything was, I mean, just this, another stab in her heart every time and she really I don't I don't want to say never got over it because you never will get over that I'm sure but she was never even close to the same as she was on December 8th 2021 James Mike Hooper II entered a plea deal pleading guilty to voluntary manslaughter he was sentenced to 25 years and will have to serve 85% or a little over 21 years before he's eligible for parole. And I'll say, during the research, her friends were pissed. They were pissed that it was voluntary Mm -hmm. manslaughter and not murder. Like, it didn't make any sense to them. And they're like, that's not enough time. She was only, he'll be out in his 40s. Yeah. You know, and he'll still get to live 30, 40, 50 years uh, of freedom where she only got to live 20. And, you know, several of those were under his thumb as it was. So it's just, it doesn't really feel like justice. And sadly, right before Mike entered this plea deal, Missy's mother slipped into an unexplained coma. The doctors never really got to the bottom of why she was in the coma, what happened, but she slowly started to recover and she's having memory problems and speech problems and and different issues. But part of her memory problems is that she can't remember where her daughter is or what happened. She's saying, where's my daughter? And her husband has to say, you know, Missy was murdered. I mean, she's posted on Facebook several times, you know, the same comments about, I can't believe this. And I went and saw her grave today. And I mean, her heart is just breaking over and over and over again throughout this whole process before this memory problem. But since then, you know, tenfold. And it's just the whole, you know, the whole congregation's trying to be supportive of her as well as her husband who's trying to take care of her through this. And, you know, it's just a very tough, tough situation for her to be in. Absolutely gut-wrenching. Missy lost her life senselessly when she had so much to live for and so many memories to make and milestones to hit with Noah. And it was snatched from her before she was even old enough to drink. Missy loved to sing, and she would upload videos of herself performing on YouTube. And they remain there today, moralizing her voice and memory. I have died every day waiting for you. Darling, don't be afraid. I have loved you for a thousand years. I love you for a thousand more. Everybody that listens to the podcast is fans of true crime and knows, you know, domestic violence is a huge red flag and trying to leave is the most dangerous time in a relationship. But this just reiterated all of that in in real time, in real life. 
I've seen, like I said before, you know, my mom was a teen mother. She had been in, in violent relationships and had left. And I had seen over and over again a cycle of, yeah, well, it's not the end of the world. But in this case, it was the end of somebody's world. And I mean, just, I guess what I learned is if you're in that situation, do whatever you can to get whatever help you can before it's too late. Missy's story is chock full of tragedy, and it's a grim example of just how many people are ruined and erased as a result of domestic violence. Sadly, the world is full of mics, so please stay vigilant, look for red flags, and reach out for help if you feel like you're in an unsafe situation. Because as you see, if you look at Missy Clary's Instagram, things looked fine. You might not even know that a friend of yours is suffering, so you really need to check in with the people you love. There are many resources if you do find yourself in trouble, including the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which you can reach at 1-800-799-7233, which is 1-800-799-SAFE. Well, a huge thank you to Paige for sharing her story today. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, you can email us, hello at thefirstgreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Join our Patreon if you want some extra bonus content and stick around tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy kiss a Wookiee day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are WRDW, The Aiken Standard, WJBF, NCADF, and as always, our first three guest is always our largest source. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 